Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome into Inside the Archives. I'm your host, Marty Rosenbaum, XRT's digital content producer and all things social media. And I am proud to announce that we reached a milestone on the show today. Not only is this our 10th episode, but we're now listed on iTunes. You can find us in the podcast library or by searching the iTunes store for Inside the Archives. You can subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, leave a review, and find a full archive of episodes and share it along with your friends. My thanks are sent to you in advance for helping support the podcast and helping us get to these 10 episodes. And as well as getting to this moment, it's a great feeling knowing that 10 episodes have come. We're now on iTunes and starting to gain a little bit of traction. So for all of you listening out there and for spreading the word with your friends, thank you so much. Go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes right now. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and listen back to some of the old podcasts that we've done. Now, on to the show. Ask someone to name the music to describe Chicago, and you'll get a variety of answers. To this day, all types of music can be heard originating from the city. This is well reflected in various festivals taking place across Chicago and in the clubs and venues hosting live music. Perhaps no one is plugged in better to the sound of Chicago than XRT's Richard Milne. Richard hosted the long-running local music show Local Anesthetic on XRT and saw firsthand the talent that emanates from the city, from Smashing Pumpkins, Wilco, Mavis Staples, and more. I wanted to pick Richard's mind on what makes Chicago music, well, Chicago music. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of things, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. How would you define Chicago music? Broad-based, big-shouldered, and I'm not even tying that in, maybe a little bit with Carl Sandburg. Uh, it's bold. Uh, I don't know if it's a reflection of being in the middle of the country, but uh, this is a city uh, that has only grown in its abilities uh, as long. In the, in the almost 27 years that I, I covered it, I saw it uh, just get better every year, and that uh, includes present day. It's it's strong. I, I don't. I think it's a fearless city musically. You know, what, what have you got to lose? If you're making music, make the music you want to make. You know, you're not you're not in Los Angeles. You're not in New York, where there may be, uh, you know, ulterior motives looking to get signed, blah, blah. Not that bands shy away from that. But I think a lot of artists in Chicago make music because it's in them and it got to come out. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that right off the bat because I found a uh, interview you did online a couple of years ago. I think it was with the Wicker Park Bucktown Chamber of Commerce. Mm. And you had a great quote about that. You said, when I first started Local Anesthetic, there were 200 bands in town. Now it seems like 20,000. Frankly, really good bands were out of the ordinary then. Now being good is at least a rigor. There seems to be less commercial aspirations among young bands now. There are all sorts of bands for whom just creating music with no eye for commercial success is good enough. That's cool from a hip standpoint, but I'm sure Joe at Metro would like to see more locals strive to fill this room. Can you expand on that? I can, yeah. You know, in 1991, well, you know, any, uh, what, uh, Metro started 83, 82? You know, it, it became the spot. It was like the highlight of so many bands' careers uh, because it indicated uh, if you were able to, you know, somewhat significantly fill that room with people that you had made it. A lot of musicians now, 
have no intention of making it. They realize that it's a long, a long shot of getting anybody, even their friends, to notice their music, let alone get a couple hundred people in Metro. So what I was talking about with uh, with Shanahan was that uh, you know he uh, you know he afforded opportunities to material issue and your urge overkills that the, you know here's the pinnacle of uh, of uh, you know at least a, uh, a significant step in your career is is playing my room and bringing people in and uh, it's a it's a far less percentage of artists now who have any desire to even play north of uh, North Avenue right 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 and as I. You know, venues across the city, whether it's a metro, which can hold upwards of a thousand people, or you go into the neighborhoods and find a venue that can, you know, like a hideout that has 150 people. When you see bands from Chicago, you notice that there may not be that commercial appeal there or the commercial aspirations, but that desire to, you know, represent art and represent mm-hmm. Chicago art. And, you know, the diversity of the Chicago sound is well reflected in a lot of musicians. Do you think that when bands are creating that sound, that just comes out organically in their work, or do they aim to create that Chicago sound and let people know that they are from Chicago? This is what our sound is. Well, you know, I mean, you can look at the full tide of the history of rock and roll, and and that will influence musicians whether they're fully cognizant of it or not. Uh, it did get. Uh, we can go back to what I was saying earlier: is that there there's kind of a Midwest ethic to working uh, for your own purpose for the own your own satisfaction of of creation and in a you know that was you know something i have a question for you too but uh, i'll i'll answer i'm going to say something about why uh, to talk about local anesthetic uh, for just a moment you know um, in the late 80s i was bringing in bands like material issue and urge overkill i was seen urge overkill making cool records for a cool label touch and go uh, touring Europe and, and, you know, maybe doing okay at Lounge Uh So my purpose in bringing bands into my late night overnight show, uh, the only groove thing, uh, I would pre-record interviews and sometimes performances was kind of to help those bands. Uh, but also, and, and this is where I'm going to bring you into the uh, at least uh, answering part of the the equation here, Marty, is that, you know, I was looking to create, to bring more to my job. And I, and I kind of think that's part of your goal. I, I, you know, I know you love radio and you love, uh, you know, the, the inquisition, if you will, of, of speaking with, with guests, but uh, you're, you're looking to contribute. And so that to tie all that back into musicians, I think there's a ethic where they're looking to actually do to create music for the sake of creating music to add what they can add to it. And that's a hard trick to pull off, but I saw that in in a lot of the better bands that at least the bands that interested me enough to bring them on to local anesthetic is that they were they were coming at it from a different non-commercial perspective. Right. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you're looking to contribute some type of creative content. However, that gets received is kind of ancillary to what the original goal is of making that original content. Um, And I think you're right when you do see some bands that don't really care whether or not their songs or the records are going to sell, whether or not they're going to be filling up venues. You get that output and the more that you keep doing it, you know, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard. Eventually, one of them's got to hit. You think that they would. Um, 
so let's let's shift gears a little bit and think about how people who are not from Chicago view the Chicago music scene. You know, there's the big names. If you look at it on a macro level, Kanye West, obviously you have the blues, you have Smashing Pumpkins. In your experience, what do people say about Chicago music that aren't from Chicago? Okay, let me let me let me think about that. Try to pick a point. Maybe I would say late '90s. You know, I, I think even when uh, the Pumpkins and Urge Overkill and Liz Fair were breaking out big time in 1993, and Billboard uh, declared Chicago the new music capital of the United States. You know, right right uh, after Athens and before Minnesota. You know. Um, I think people still said, you know, blip on the radar, you know, they do what they do and it's good for now. It's sustainability and that sustainability, when you have bands like Tortoise and, uh, the Sea and Cake and bands like that start really consistently making interesting music on their own terms and taking all that influence and making their own thing by the like the late '90s, I think nationally, people who knew and recognized what they were hearing, you know, said, "Okay, Chicago is the real deal at this point," and that's only grown. And I, and I can't imagine anybody in any other significant music community around the the country thinking of Chicago in any other terms than it's genuinely an excellent place to to you know for music to emerge from, but also to uh, emigrate to and and create. Yeah, and that's seen right now as it being a hub for creative individuals, not not just in the music scene, but in the greater arts community. I, do you think this will sustain itself in the future? Or has all this hard work built up and built up to the point we're at right now that really we've hit a peak? Well, well what, you know, what, what is being sustained? You know, there, there's really no commercial infrastructure. We've got great rooms that seem to continue to do well, whether it's, you know, township or, or hideout or, or even metro. Uh, certainly, the empty bottle. You know, you know, rooms like that continue to present nightly. Uh, you know, wonderful music, both nationally and and certainly uh, locally, and then that support for uh, for Chicago artists within the infrastructure of Chicago continues to exist. But sustainability, it will sustain itself because I think. The fact that, uh, you know, as I wrote years ago, the 200 bands are now 25,000 bands, you know, slight exaggeration there. <laughs> you know, the reason there are so many bands is because young musicians and even older musicians have an innate desire to create, and that will sustain interesting musics, at least even if it's only the five guys, three guys, ten guys in the band who think it's interesting and creative music, you know, that uh, propels itself. That That is self-sustaining. Right. And seeing people who have come from outside of Chicago or people that were born and raised here in Chicago in the greater Chicagoland area, is, is that an ethos that's been consistent since many decades ago? No. Um, you know, I can't, I can't speak to much... Before, say, the rise of bands like Naked Ray Gun and the Effigies, 83, 84, through, and, and you know, of course, uh, you know, Albini and all his, his configurations. That, that's when things changed enough for people to, you know, at least look at Chicago and say, okay, there, there's something happening there. And, I, and I, 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 A, as I said, I'm not really fully 
versed enough in what was happening from a commercial standpoint, artistic standpoint. In, in the mid seventies, late seventies, it seemed like you know, like every other city, there was uh, you know, Harish, Harish, is that a word? It is now. <laughs> um, Harish, you know, you you the, the you know the hub of a lot of the Chicago music community was you know the Thirsty Whale out in River Grove, where you know it was you know, just sort of good time rock and roll and nothing wrong with that, man. That was a good time and, and, you know, thrilling for a lot of people, but it changed. Punk rock changed that. Post-punk, I should say, changed that. Uh, you know, and, and so when, when, you've, when you had musicians in Chicago uh, from, once again, Albini on down, looking at uh, what Husker do or, you know, Black Flag were able to do on their own terms, that was, that was a profoundly influential in, in Chicago uh, never looked back, I don't think. Yeah, well, and you see today the different genres of rock and roll that have been siphoned off from that era, and you can hear it just walking down your street in any neighborhood here in the venue. One of the reoccurring guests you had on your show at Local Anesthetic that I really enjoyed was Dante Carfagna. Sure. For Chicago House... Uh, Excuse me, Chicago Soul. Right. What was the official title of it? Yeah, well, we started out with uh, strictly on funk, but Chicago was never really a funk town, but it was one of the great soul towns. So we, we changed the uh, name of it to the History of Chicago Funk and Soul, and I think we got 10, 11, 12 chapters. Yeah, I mean, you guys got pretty far with it, and e- each time that came out on the radio, that was a treat to hear. And that seems, when, when, when I was putting the show together, that seems outside of what you were doing to be an unspoken of part of Chicago's music history where you have the blues being the staple, you have the uh, the Naked Ray Guns, the Urge Overkill, that rock and roll segment being strongly identified with Chicago, but there's such a rich history that comes with soul music, with funk music that's come from Chicago. Why hasn't that gotten the attention that other genres have? Well, I, I think because there weren't, outside of Curtis Mayfield and, and the Shy Lights and the Dells, and all, those are all bands that I, I, I was uh, fortunate to have uh, on Local Anesthetic, uh, including Curtis Mayfield. I mean, that was, you know, 1996 when uh, the New World Order record came out, his final final studio release before his passing a few years later. Um, you know, what, what a thrill that was. Um, I would say, Marty, from what I know, it's because it was so, not, not even regional, it was almost like neighborhood by neighborhood. You know, when Dante would come in, he'd, he would focus on these independent labels from, you know, Lawndale, Mm-hmm. And who put out uh, 17 singles and, and four albums. Well, they're all pretty phenomenal, but, you know, they didn't get distribution much beyond the uh, neighborhood uh, tavern jukebox. <laughs> so does that answer your question? It was... None, it, it it what there wasn't it wasn't a there wasn't a Motown here uh you know there there were Brunswick and and you know Kurtam with with Curtis Mayfield but the, there wasn't that sort of uh you know Philly soul Motown ish it never got to that level from a commercial standpoint then again you know was anybody more brilliant than Curtis Mayfield so. right well you you put him the staple singers together and yeah. Chicago certainly has a strong argument for being a uh, big contributor to soul music. Uh, you know, the question that I'm getting at is when you do have this, the, those two artists, along with the many others that may have just been contained within the neighborhood jukebox, it's all quality music. And, you know, why hasn't that been brought out more um, when talking about Chicago music? Once again, I, I think because it was almost Chicago-specific. Uh, if, I, if I'm picking up on your question correctly and and i'm kind of basing it on a lot of conversations i had with dante carfagna when he was my guest and we become friends and had many conversations about chicago soul uh since um 
Once again, I, I think because nah, there weren't those blockbuster weekly top of the charts type significant acts like they had coming out of Detroit and, you know, a little bit later on with, uh, you know, the sound of Philadelphia. So um, I think the uh, the artistic integrity was there, the commercial viability, not necessarily, even with Curtis. Curtis threw a lot of things at the wall and, you know, not everything stuck. And even when he was uh, helping others, you know, Major Lance, etc., you know, they, they would become regional hits. So I, uh, to answer your question, why don't people view Chicago soul with the reverence of, say, uh, Motown? I think because they we were not chart toppers like mm. they were. So that, that segues right into my next topic, which is Chicagoans tending to have an insular view of themselves where it may be seen as we feel we may be bigger than the rest of the world sees us, the rest of the world country that could go with our Midwest characteristics of want it being hardworking, wanting to prove everyone wrong. Uh, outside of soul music that you mentioned referencing very hyper-local parts or being only heard in specific parts of Chicago, do you, do you think that's the case where Chicago musicians are really only making music for other Chicago musicians and that it may not be as large scale as we think it is? I would say no, and it goes back to me truly believing that uh, you know the best, the best rock and roll, the best music, you know, across all genres, is when artists are making it for themselves without any kind of eye to commerciality, and so that ties in with some you know band in Pilsen right now thinking, oh, I hope the people in New York like it. Yeah, I don't think it crosses their mind. Now, you, you have to take it to them. I mean, if you believe in what you're doing and you want people to hear your music, you know, touring it can certainly, uh, you know, help you uh, break beyond, uh, you know, Pilsen and, and Ukrainian Village, uh, you know, so you have to take it to those markets. You can't fully expect, you know, New Yorkers to be actively seeking out the next best, uh, next big thing from Chicago. But I, I, I don't believe that uh, Chicago thinks it's bigger than it is. And I do believe that uh, there's enough really cool music still being made here that uh, people in other markets, you know, as I said earlier, you know, don't automatically dismiss anybody from Chicago, you know, just because they're from Chicago. Right. And I think at this point we've earned that, you know, through all the yes. quality music that's been put out decades after decades to where I think it should be on the same level that you think of country music coming out of Nashville. You see a country artist either from Nashville, you see it was a Nashville produced record, you're like, all right, this is going to be quality. I know that I'm getting something that had a lot of effort put into it. And that's the same thing with Chicago music. You see bands that are putting a lot of effort into their music, and it's established that those bands have those characteristics that make up the greater Chicago sound. Now, during your career, you've spoken with a lot of artists who have taken off, who have gotten that national exposure and started off here just in local bands, how do those bands maintain their connections to Chicago once they do have those national followings, a la Smashing Pumpkins, Urge Overkill, Wilco, et cetera? I want to not, not correct you on something, but uh, I do want to make uh, a distinction. The bands I interviewed on Local Anesthetic that broke big nationally, that was all really in the early years. Uh, and, and why that was, there's a number of reasons. Um, I, Chicago, local anesthetic was new when the popularity of Chicago music was, was new. 
and artists like uh, Urge Overkill and Liz Fair and the Pumpkins. You know, the Pumpkins on when, when Gish. Gish was just out, and it was a fantastic interview on, like, the third episode of Local Anesthetic in June of 1991. And the whole band was here, and it was a hot summer night and very memorable. And Liz Fair, I remember going over to uh, Idful Music with Brad Wood, where she recorded it, and, you know, interviewing her there. Um does Liz Fair have any kind of connections to Chicago anymore? She hasn't lived here in at least 15 years. Corgan still does, and, and Corgan is a Chicago guy, and that's probably why he hasn't left. Uh, Wilco. Is Wilco identified? I, I don't. I, I think people realize that Tweedy is a Chicagoan and, and probably forever will be. Uh, but interesting about Wilco, I don't know if people view Wilco are so big. I think people just look at Wilco as, as not Chicago-specific. Mm-hmm. So how do they keep their Chicago identities? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's even necessary. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see the attempt being made. I don't, I don't th- see I don't, I don't see Jeff Tweedy probably, uh, you know, I know he loves Chicago, and, and as I said, will be a resident for, you know, uh, all the years to come. But I don't. I don't think he waves the Chicago flag, uh, you know, like he like people might expect him to. Well, do you think it's even necessary for those artists to do so? I don't. No. Mm-hmm. You know, they're making music uh, because it's just what they do, and they happen to find Chicago. If uh, at that point in their career, not uh, you know, uh, feeding into their creativity, but they find the fact that they can live here comfortably with their families, you know, helps their art in that way. Do you think going in? to the 21st century and I, I maybe not even going into the 21st century but is that a factor for bringing some prominent artists to Chicago is that comfortability factor the family factor that maybe other cities don't offer um I would have to think so you know it's a very livable city and as I said that uh, support you know from from radio ie uh, you know WXRT and the clubs and 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 people you know one, one thing that that kind of changed I could tell you some stories, Marty, that I that I just actually would not want other people uh, to to hear at this point. I, I don't think the statute of limitations is is quite <laughs> run up. But I I remember how sort of um, bitter, and if you followed Chicago music in the early mid nineteen nineties, people people this isn't a surprise to anybody. But as I said, the stories will remain uh, not non broadcasted. Uh, but there were there were hipsters who who looked uh, askance at your Billy Corgans. And your even your urge overkills because urge overkill as interesting as they were as uh, as artists they really wanted popularity. Um, Liz Fair was just her own thing. Uh, I I think that's changed. I there there isn't that bitter rivalries and that sort of like oh why them and not me, and that has ultimately become one of the healthiest aspects of of Chicago. People people actually want other artists to make interesting music. You know, and, and everybody's in the same boat realizing that popularity is is fleeting at best. And just to make music because it's in you and, uh, you know, this is how you're expressing yourself to the world. I, I think there's 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 greater support for that kind of uh, artistic integrity now than than ever before. It's interesting you mentioned that because I see that play out firsthand on Twitter. Yeah. Chicago bands, okay. uh, Twin Peaks and Whitney, for example. Hey, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, they support everything they do, I, whether they're in person or just going through Twitter, you know, uh, releasing new songs, promoting one of the band members, individual shows, or just joking around with one another. You see that play out firsthand on social media. And I think that crosses boundaries, too. I know um, 
you know, Twin Peaks had, uh, I think, Joey Perp and went on tour with him in Europe together. You see him here in Chicago, you're like, you know, rock and roll, hip hop. All right, I could dig that, but it doesn't exactly make sense when you line up two genres. But they're going out into Europe and bringing Chicago there. So I think you're right when you do say that there is that communal feel to it. You want to back each other up and share the love with one another. I think that's a generational thing, too. I think this, uh, you know, I have a son, of, you know, who... You know, is the one who turned me on to Twin Peaks, right? That's, I've been I did it so long. My child was turning me on to the hipper Chicago bands. Uh, but uh, you may recall at the uh, XRT Taste of Chicago concert last year when Twin Peaks performed. You know, from the stage, they proudly proclaimed they were all graduates of uh, the Chicago public school system. You know, they love their town and and they truly believe that if they can do it out of CPS, uh, anybody can do it. And and they're kind of showing that. Yeah, uh, it's cool to see, and um, you know when you when you get younger bands like that, it creates a desire not to outdo one another, but to collaborate with one another. Mm-hmm. Is that, was that sense of collaboration there back in the eighties and the nineties? I think there was an appreciation if you were part of the club, but if you weren't in the club. You know, the Touch and Go Club, the, uh, you know, Big Black, Naked Ray Gun Effigies Club, you you might have been, uh, you know, considered, even though they were outsiders, if you were not part of that uh, inside of being an outsider, you were an outsider too, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the, the support between sort of uh, the better regional acts was there. But but I think the scene was so small that it, it it was it didn't matter. I mean, there weren't a lot of other bands to support. You know, it was definitely you know much like the city of Chicago uh, itself. It was definitely a, a segregated music community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. And it, and it goes back to what I was saying. Uh, you know, when when the Smashing Pumpkins put out Siamese Dream, you know, the Snickers. Over over Billy Corgan lyrics, you're deriding the guy because he's, you know, singing from the heart. I, you know, it was weird. I, I encountered some strange conversations there. Yeah. Well, what, when did that start changing? I would say, boy, you know, changing of the guard is is too cliched here. I will say once again, post, definitely post two thousand. I would say, Marty, the Chicago music community has been super broad-based and super supportive of, of each other, say, circa in the last 10 years. Yeah, that that's my viewpoint on it. You know, where artists, uh, you, know, you know, and it became, I, th- I think, the rise of the suburban scene, the house party scene, when you had young bands uh, still in high school, like Twin Peaks guys, you know, doing cool things. And those guys are all, you know, 23, 24, 25-ish at this point. So I would say, yeah, you know, they're yeah, about 10 years. I, I saw a definite change. Interesting to note, though, that uh, they're, any, the, 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 the rise of young bands like your Whitney's and your Twin Peaks in Chicago, there was a corresponding loss of interest in, in having uh, media relationships. Hmm i.e., you know, sending music to your local radio station. Mm. You know, I saw that drop off because, once again, it was it was just, uh, you know, it wasn't part of the whole M.O. of why we're making music. Right. 
And is that more so filling into the do-it-yourself mentality and shutting out others and taking that literal interpretation of it that you're going to make it? No. Oh, whatever making it is for yourself, or no, what is I, that? You know, I didn't take it personally. I I, I understood it. It was just it. Uh, you know, radio radio did it to themselves. I mean, local anesthetic and WXRT. WXRT was before there was local anesthetic was still a huge supporter of of Chicago bands, whether it was the Insiders or Naked Raygun. You know, I mean, I was I was playing. You know, uh, understand, and we played uh, All Rise. You know, I mean, XRT has been there for Chicago music for 30-plus years. Um, I think, though, that radio as a whole is something that just sort of, you know, let down listeners in general. I mean, you know how much I love this radio station, but I think radio as a whole became very uh, milquetoast. Mm-hmm. And, and if you were a young person, say, starting in the mid-1980s and beyond... You know, radio outside of WXRT, and I and I I can only say nice things about this place because I still love it to death. Um, you know, kind of just let down generations of of potential radio listeners, and and I think that is reflected a in oddly enough a broader based taste in music because you were no longer dependent on radio to to feed you, so you went to your community. And there, you know, as we both know uh, intimately, that the the sources of finding interesting music is huge yeah. now. Um, to answer your question, no, I, I I didn't take it like radio is the enemy or radio is the man, and we don't want anything to do with the man. I think it just sort of like uh, you know is something that people no longer considered necessary to gain exposure, you know. And and once again, uh, if if getting a spin. And local anesthetic was the end all be all of uh, of your career aspirations. You know, pity you. <laughs> you know, not that not that I did, wasn't there and very interested in helping out bands, but uh, you know, I, I realized that you know uh, the the scope of local anesthetic when I, when I started bringing in your you know your bands in the in the late uh, in eighties to uh, play on my overnight radio show was really to help the bands. You know, mm-hmm. when I when I loved Urge Overkill so much and I, and I knew that uh, more people in their hometown needed to know about them. You know, my, my desire really was to help as many bands as I could. And the, the scope of that changed over the years, bit by bit, to where why I was hosting Local Anesthetic and bringing on these bands is because I wanted to entertain people listening to the radio. You've received tens of thousands of demos, CDs, tapes, yeah, vinyl, no MP3s yeah. from bands hoping to get on the show. Was there ever a band you listened to their CD, decided oh, they're not going to be anything, I don't want to listen to them, they're not going to come on the show, and, and then, then it, was it was the total opposite of it. <laughs> Too many, Marty. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I was never never the uh, the end-all, be-all as far as knowing what was hip and happening. I, you know, I had my particular taste, very broad-based, uh, you know, and I was listening for certain things. But there were definitely artists that uh, gained popularity that uh, you know I just I you know didn't hear at the time, and maybe you know if I listened to it again, I would still not like it. Yeah, is that uh, due to their pop sensibilities, ability to create a catchy tune, or you think it's because of anything Chicago related, like we've been talking about? Yeah, yeah. Once again, you know why 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 certain things caught my ear and uh, certain things didn't. Uh, yeah, it, it's something I, I've not reflected all that deeply on because if uh, you know I was never never at a shortage of, of finding enough music to make uh, every Sunday night worth listening to if you had to choose a musician to perfectly describe the Chicago sound who would that be 
I would go, without giving it any further thought than you just throwing that question at me, I would go with Jeff Tweedy. And I would say, Jeff, uh, as we've watched his career over the last 23 years now, since the AM record came out in 95, you know, go about his own way and make his own decisions and become just such a phenomenal performer songwriter, human being, you know, I, I say Jeff Tweedy, and Jeff Tweedy never was a guest on Local Anesthetic, by the way. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? And that, that, that's the other thing. I, I you, know, it, uh, you know, the big name bands that I'm, I'm closely associated with from the early 90s, my interest in, in, you know, I remember, you know, I loved Gish. I was such a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, and, and still to this day. And then uh, Siamese Dream came out in 93, and I was looking at what a lot of the press were doing to Billy Corgan, you know, because there there was just sort of, you know, they were digging for dirt. And I, and I just, uh, that's when I made a conscious decision that, you know, at a certain point, um, there's nothing I can contribute uh, to a, to an artist's projectile uh, in, to stardom. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, at a certain point, I really started leaning towards more time, you know, more towards, you know, classic Chicago soul artists uh, people on the fringe, developing bands, and and kind of just left the uh, the, the the bigger stars to other other local music shows. Hmm. So before we wrap things up, if you were to make a playlist of your favorite Chicago music, and then what you think best represents Chicago music, who would five artists on that list be? Naked Raygun, uh, Big Black, Wilco. Negative Scanner, Whitney. There you have it. Top, s- top of my head. Th- those are artists that, uh, you know, no hesitation. Why, why, why those artists? Because they've, they're artists that moved me, that I look at how they have gone about their careers, doing, making decisions within... And it, it sounds bad on their behalf, but in their own self-interest and coming out on top regardless. Mm. You know, Naked Raygun, yeah, they, they're still a juggernaut, you know. You know, I still miss, uh, you know, John Haggerty on guitar, but uh, Whitney, I mean, the, the last record was just brilliant. So looking forward to the new one. Uh, Jeff Tweedy, as I've said already, you know, that that's he's an artist, man. You know, and and there's a commercial sense to what he does, but it's not intentional. And to be moved by a Jeff Tweedy song, you know, is is uh, you know tear-inducing and uh, thrilling. And uh, Steve Albini, I think, just uh, you know, outside of kind of being a knucklehead overall, uh, you know, was a huge part of 1980s and beyond. You know, his, his, uh, Shellac, still, you know, wonderful band. But what Steve did for Chicago music as a musician and engineer in the 1980s, you know, can't even, you know, it, it would take another podcast or two just on him. Yeah. Well, I think the common theme you see in all of this is that they're sticking true to their artistic vision. Sticking I think true you really to have to, have. Marty. You yeah. know, I, I think you have to. You start, you know, thinking about other aspects of making music and, I, and i'm not going to you know besmirch anybody's reputation for doing so but if you really want getting back to that sustainability and to truly create 
what, what God put in you to, to, to make music with, if you deviate that because you lose your way mentally, you know, uh, you, you, you've lost, you've lost something, not necessarily your way, but, uh, you know, what you were able to fully capable of doing, I think, uh, you left a little bit out. Mm. Well said. Well, hopefully that's not smug. Cause I mean, you know, make the music you want to make, but you know, there, there's, I really truly believe, and it's kind of like how I pr- approach my own career at WXRT. There's, you know, I mean, this is it. You know, I've done a lot of other things. I've been a wrestling referee. I've been self-employed for 20 years. But when it came to the radio station, you know, and sitting in that chair and, and playing records on the radio, boom, I got blinders on. You know, yeah. you've tried to come in and try to talk to me, and there's two things I want to do in that room. I want to I want to think about what I'm going to play, and I want to think about what I'm going to say, and that's it. And I do that for three, four, five hours, whatever it takes. But I think the end result is much better with that kind of focus. And, and I think musicians or artists in general... You know, you have to understand that focus. And and if, uh, you know, you allow distractions to come in like, uh, you know, are my friends going to like this? Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not where your head should be. Yeah. Well, you know, and then you only got one go around at it. And if you're not going to stick true to what you think is right with it, what's the point? Well, I, I think it should be a lifelong pursuit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and if and if you set up unrealistic es- expectations, you know, undoubtedly you're not going to be able to meet them. And if you enjoyed playing guitar at 15, 25, you should still enjoy playing it at 45, 55. Yeah. And, and you should do so. No matter how much it may piss off the neighbors. <laughs> Sounds like personal experience. Uh, just a little <laughs> bit. A little bit. Well, Richard, thanks so much for taking the time out to chat with me today. And uh, you know, I, really I give a great was, insight into Chicago music. Well, you know, it, uh, it was uh, you know an honor to be asked. And uh, hopefully, uh, if, you know, somebody got something out of this that uh, will just uh, help them make music or, you know, keep them... I gotta tell you, I'll tell you one story. There's this guy, uh, uh, Cody, uh, Cody uh, Dykoff, uh, who records under the name of Chicago Farmer. He sent me an email when when I signed off on Local Anesthetic. He, he just uh, felt uh, the need to uh, tell me what I had done for him, and uh, you know he had been beating his brains making music and, and not really getting anywhere. And he was in Chicago. I think he played on a Saturday night, and he was in Chicago on a Sunday, heading back to Bloomington, where he's uh, still still based. And he heard me play a song on the radio, you know. And this guy was so close to quitting, just feeling, just you know, there was the point here, you know. And he heard himself on the radio, heard me say some nice things about him, and uh, he decided that he was going to stick to it. And he's you know now doing things like selling out shubas. My my point is is that you know it it's hard. And, uh, you know, it's easy to get down on, uh, you know, if you do have, I mean, everybody wants to have their music heard and or appreciated, but that's not often the case. And, and you know, you have to sort of be uh, self-fulfilled just by the act of making music. And if some guy on the radio says nice things about you and gives a spin that other people can hear, well, that's a bonus. But, you know, you, you've got to have that sort of fortitude. Yeah, and that seems to be the thing that's, keeping a lot of Chicago going these days, right. whether it's in music or any other venture. I like that word you use, man, sustainability. You know, whether it's lifelong as an artist or, you know, just uh, the community itself, it's, uh, you know, it's doable. Yeah. And, and it feels healthy still. Yeah, exactly. Well, Richard, thanks so much for joining us yeah, today. Man. 
Wow, what a great conversation that was. Thanks again to Richard Milne for joining us and dissecting all things Chicago music. So we got lots of news items to cover since our last episode, and we're going to start with who else but the Foo Fighters, one of the most polarizing bands I see people commenting on on our social media page. But nevertheless, people still love to read what Dave Grohl and company are up to. In an interview with British Airways High Life magazine, Grohl spoke about the criticism the Foo Fighters received for having their records sound very samey. And you know what? He's fine with that. He said, I've never felt the need to chase something else, and we get cursed for it. Oh, God, it's another Foo Fighters record. Well, yeah, I don't want to make a reggae record. Grohl also spoke on what the relationship with his bandmates is like. He said, we're like brothers. It sounds trite, but it's true. Imagine being on a family trip for 20 years. That's what it's like being in the Foo Fighters. No word on whether or not British Airways High Life Magazine is the champagne of airline magazine publications. Beck just released a massive remix to U2's Songs of Experience track Love is Bigger Than Anything in Its Way. The synth-laden remix would sound very appropriate emanating out of arena speakers, and it marks the second time that Beck has remixed a U2's Songs of Experience track this year. For Record Store Day, he re remixed the track Lights of Home as part of a Record Store Day exclusive. You can hear that song on our website, 93xrt.com right now, and we put up a uh, YouTube link to the video, so... Head on over to 93xrt.com if you want to hear that. Another article that became quite popular on social media this week was a post containing isolated vocals from Eddie Vedder. Now, I love these types of videos as it gives a great example of what a singer's vocal talents are. You can see how strong they are and how much it really contributes to a song. And rarely do you get the opportunity to hear them separated from the rest of the band. So it's always a treat when one of these comes out. The videos in the article show Vedder's isolated vocals on the Pearl Jam classics Alive in Black. Even cooler, the videos are synced up with live footage, so it gives you a full audio-visual experience. You can find that on our website, 93xrt.com, right now. And it's cool because I don't think there was a year that the performance was from. It, was not, it wasn't listed in the YouTube video, but it's a younger Pearl Jam, and it's funny to see that footage looking back on it now in 2018. Finally, I came across a video that I'm really hoping turns into a trend in the near future, and that's playing modern music through an old-time radio. Now, as a disclaimer, I don't know how authentic this video is or whether or not the music was actually played back through an old-time radio or if people just put sound effects behind it, but use your imagination. It's fun anyway. A YouTube user put out a video of a couple of Arctic Monkeys and Last Shadow Puppets song as if they were being played through a 1945 radio. As an added bonus, they put in the sound effect of rain falling in the background. The results are beautiful, and it's the exact type of music you'd want to put on while you're sitting out on your porch in the summertime listening to rain fall. Alex Turner's voice sounds incredible, and the acoustic guitar in it is a perfect soundtrack for a dreary, rainy, warm afternoon when you're in shelter, maybe with a beverage or a book, just listening to the rainfall with this music on. All the stuff I just mentioned right now is on 93xrt.com, and we posted it on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us there at 93xrt. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thanks again to Richard Milne for coming on and joining us talking all things Chicago music. And thank you to you, our lovely listener, for joining us and listening to this podcast and all Inside the Archives podcast. As a reminder, we are now on iTunes. You can find us in the podcast library or just search the iTunes store for Inside the Archives. You can subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, leave a rating of the show, find a full library of every single podcast that we've done, and share it with your friends as well. So head on over to iTunes, 
check us out there. Subscribe, rate us, review us. You know the drill. You know what to do. If you want to follow everything we're doing here over at XRT, find us on social media. All of our handles, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are at 93XRT. For 93XRT and Inside the Archives, I'm Marty Rosenbaum. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.